or anybody and declare that I believe in, huh, don't mess with me. I, so introducing, I know she's got a word. I know it's going to be fabulous. Uh, <laughs> amen, amen. So here, uh, mom. <laughs> That song fired me up. <laughs> amen, amen, hallelujah. Amen. That's gonna be the Hallelujah theme song. Amen. Well, there's a there's only one thing deeper than "Don't mess with me." Okay, is when the devil looks at you and say, "Don't mess with her." <laughs> you know, when he already knows you. Okay, and uh, um, so y'all come to the middle somewhere. This, uh, you know, my old pastor used to say. Even if you only got two teeth, they look better when they're together. Okay? You know. So, y'all come on over here. Yeah, come, come on down here. Come on, Stephanie. Come on. Yeah, come on in. That's right. Just straight. That's right. Now I look like a full set of teeth in here. That looks good. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Bless the people. Amen. Amen. Well, I love that song, Jehovah Kabor, because it is real. And like I said, when, uh, when, when you tell him don't mess with me uh, enough times and, and he sees what God does, pretty soon he's going to be telling his imp, don't mess with her, okay? You know, um, so uh, because uh, he needs to know that, like, like uh, Pastor Darrell said, that you're not going to back down and you're not going to back up, okay? And... Uh, um, it's like sometimes when I see the attacks of the enemy, it's like watching a movie I've seen before. I say, oh, please, is that, since you know, is that what you got? You know, so, you know, because you, you've been through that. But, but just keep on living and you'll get there. You know, you'll see that, uh, that the devil is, uh, what's, uh, what's that, uh, uh, now he's real now. Don't, don't get, don't, don't, you know, don't sleep. He's real. But uh, he only has power, uh, he can only exercise power and authority uh, in relationship to the power and authority that he that he he is confronting. Okay, meaning that um, there, there's a story in the Book of Acts where uh, it says uh, the sons of Sceva um, ran across a demon. You remember that story, right, Juanita? And uh, they they were they were exercising the devil, and they said, "Come out of him! Come out of him, Satan! Come out of here, devil!" And he said, in the name of, uh, in the name of Paul and Jesus and all that. And he's, he said, now, wait a minute. He said, I know Paul. He said, I know Jesus, but who are you, okay? And with that, uh, uh, the, the demon put a whipping on him, okay? Because he, they recognized that the Holy Spirit was not uh, empowering him. So he'll come to you in relationship to where he sees you. So... Um, you're going to have to really build your defenses. Uh, and, and there are ways that it's almost like I'm ready to preach another message. I really, you're not really feeling that, but I'm not because I promised that I was going to do some other things and I'm going to stay with what God told me to do. But, okay, um, you really need to reinforce yourself because black ops don't get, the, you don't, get a, don't get the uniform without the training. Okay, I mean, they don't just say, okay, you want to be a black op? Good, come get your gun and all your gear and, you know, the little helmet and stuff and get out there and get them, you know. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I have seen some um, films of uh, them training Navy SEALs where they are like almost dead 
just getting through the training, okay? They, they take them to the brink of death, uh, to, you know, to the fear in them is, uh, is you know, uh, um, is something that uh, they are men, um, um, know how to press through and uh, keep doing what the assignment is, amen? Uh, and that's what we have to do. But you know what? Um, a lot, I know that we don't like to, you know, go through changes and we don't like to suffer and we don't like to have all those things, you know. And then, you know, um, we have heard so much of the lollipop gospel, you know, that, uh, you know, they give you a shot and then the doctor gives you a lollipop, you know, to make you feel better. So we've heard so much of that that we almost feel like something is wrong when we're suffering, okay? And that would be just like going to the gym with the trainer and, and something is wrong if he puts another weight on me, you know what I mean? Doesn't he know that I can't handle this? Well, he's a trainer, okay? He's doing the job. And so God has to train us and he has to prepare us. And so many of the experiences that we are going through, and I, I wanna say this before I start my message because I really think this is important. Uh, we call ourselves Christians, right? Okay, all right. And, 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 and hopefully we're those don't mess with me, Christians, you know, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm strong, you know, I'm mighty, and I'm going to fight you, blah, 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 I'm strong. And um, there, there are a group of Christians, and right now, many of them are in Syria, and many of them are in Iraq. And uh, they put uh, something, it's like a little U, I wish I had a drawing of it, it's like a cup, like a U, picture the letter U, and with a dot on the top of it, okay? Uh, and it's an Arabic letter for N, or better yet, what it means is they spray paint this on the houses of the Christians in Syria, which means that they're going to confiscate their property, they're going to take all their money, and they are going to rape the women and kill the men if they don't um, convert to Islam, okay? And so they mark their houses and whatnot. So um, the Christians in the Middle East um, have uh, countered that kind of attack by carrying that symbol in the palm of their hands now, that upside down you with the and meaning, yes, I'm a Christian and I'm ready to be persecuted. I'm ready to offer my life, okay? If I have to, I will not convert to Islam, okay? That's what they have decided. So now I want you to picture this. I want you to picture ISIS coming into these small villages and in one particular village, and the name escapes me, the village right now of Iraq. And uh, they went into this village and this is one of the oldest Christian Christian communities dating back to the first century, all right? And they have Bibles that were written there in uh, 200 BC, uh, uh, AD, you know, I mean, just artifacts. Well, the Muslims went in and destroyed all of that, all of the original Bibles from the Old Te from the New Testament church, all of the artifacts destroyed all of that and ran the Christians out. Now, what these Christians did, now this is what I'm telling you, this is no joke. What the Christians did, they fled because ISIS were on their trail. They got on little rubber raw, 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 uh, boats, okay, rafts, down by the Mediterranean Ocean and crossed the Mediterranean into Greece. They are crossing by the hundreds of thousands, okay? They're crossing the Mediterranean and hoping that they don't drown before they make it to Greece. They're finding dead bodies floating, okay, in the Mediterranean of Christians that tried to escape out of uh, Syria, out of Iraq, and out of places where they're being persecuted. Persecution is like tremendous right now. So now, picture these Christians by the thousands making their way from Syria into Greece. They get to Greece, 
and, uh, and they had to pay to get on these boats and almost die, all right, but they had to pay. They get into Greece, and from there they take a train into Hungary. The, 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 the object was, a few months ago, was to make it into Germany, because Germany had job opens. They were letting 100,000 Christians into Germany that, from the Middle East. So the, they, they take these trains and, uh, out of Greece and make their way into Hungary. Uh, now, what they thought, they thought the Hungarians were gonna let them go into Germany, but the Hungarians, instead of letting them go into Germany, put them in concentration camps, okay, in Hungary. So you have a lot of Syrian Christians now that are in concentration camps waiting, all right, to see what they do. But now, on the television, they showed that many of them uh, that didn't get on that train and, and made their way, some by hook or crook, um, through Hungary and into uh, Germany, uh, got to the border and the, they locked the gates and said, we're only taking so many and then no more. So you see some of these uh, Syrian Christians, you know, getting through, and Muslims too, mixed in with the Muslims that are also trying to escape because they are another faction of Muslims that are against the ISIS group, okay? You have Sumis, you have all kinds. So these are the Muslims that don't agree with the radicalized ones. So they're trying to escape too. So now these people are trying to get through this gate to get into Europe. When they get into Europe, then they disseminate into whoever will take them, whatever country will take them in Europe. France, you know, a lot of them went into France, as you well know, based on what happened recently. A lot of them have gone into Europe, and they have uh, said that they're gonna let 10,000 into the United States. So far, only a couple of thousand Syrian. Uh, yeah, that's the symbol, that's it, okay? That's the symbol of persecuted Christians in the Middle East, okay? Um, but. Now, the point I'm making is this. If somebody's home and everything they own has been confiscated, they, the husband and wife take their children, get on a, what are those little floating boats, rafts, rubber raft, cross the Mediterranean Ocean, get into Greece, go into Hungary, spend time in a concentration camp, get through the gate, get into Germany, and make their way to the United States, what kind of Christian is sitting next to you? a serious Christian, a real serious Christian. But if God just says, oh God, my hair is falling out. How am I gonna get through this transition? Oh Lord, just help me. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Oh Lord, they cut back on my hours and now I'm only making $11 instead of $16 an hour. Oh God, this is such terrible persecution. And then, you know what that Syrian Christian will say? Give me that job, okay? I don't care if it's paying $2 an hour, okay? They are kissing the ground. So I want you to understand that what you are going through, God is saying, I gotta toughen you guys up. You don't understand what's getting ready, what's not getting ready to happen, but what is happening, okay? Because when the judgment of God falls, it's gonna fall suddenly. And just like those people sitting in that cafe, and, and, and you know, I don't wanna talk about racism, but you know, racism really is a part of this. Because when France got hit, when 147 people got killed in France, it was all over the news. People were crying. People was weeping, interrupting shows. They just had 129 people get killed in Mali, West Africa, by radical Islam. And, you know, it was on the news, what, five minutes? You know what I'm saying? So that kind of hurts me, too. Kenya had, uh, uh, they went into a university and killed 300 students and left them dead in the university. And this stuff is happening. It's happening suddenly. All right? 
And none of the attacks have been as big as the one on the United States where we lost 3,000 people during 9-11. And it, so it's not going away. Okay, it's not going away. So the point is, you know, look at somebody next to you and say, suck it up. Okay, yeah, you know. And I mean, it is the encounters that you go through and the encounters uh, uh, that you will overcome that is going to prepare you to live, okay, in a, in a uh, uh, what they call a post-Christian culture. And a post-Christian culture means this is no longer a culture that is dominated, okay, by Christian values and Christian views. It is every man for himself. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. And you're gonna have to live with that. So thank God that you're not in Syria, but I'm telling you, the ones that God is gonna use are the ones that have overcome. That's why, that's why you know, African-Americans, when they came to the shores, you know, they, uh, most of the slaves did extremely well. Do you know why the slaves did extremely well? Because all the weak ones died coming over, okay? And the ones that survived, you know, the, just the, this, what do they call it? This, this, Diaspora, right, exactly. The ones that survived, you know, that crossing, that middle crossing, you know, hey, they were the ones, you know, had a strong mind. They didn't, you know, they were down on the bottom of the ship, you know, and didn't go crazy, you know. They had strong uh, organs, hearts, you know, lungs, muscles, and whatnot, because they survived all that strong immune systems. So they were able to come, and then they were purged again through slavery, okay? Because all the slaves that couldn't take the hard labor and couldn't do, you know, uh, uh, do the work, you know, without falling apart you know they would hey they would take them out and shoot them or let them die you know we this is a slave I can't use anymore but the strong ones are multiplied and survived okay and so then you have your LeBron James you understand what I'm saying you have you know these these super athletes that uh, came out of years of purging okay and I'm just talking about from a physical perspective I'm not talking about the spiritual side of it, the spiritual side of being mentally strong. That's why up until recently, you never even heard of black people committing suicide because they were gonna kill themselves. You know, they had 200 years of slavery to do that. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they can get through uh, most anything. And, and so it is with all persecuted cultures, not just African-Americans, but uh, all persecuted cultures, okay? Well, y'all got me on that track and now I'm gonna get off of it, you know, and get to the word, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just praise you and I just thank you for uh, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. I pray right now, Lord, that um, your word that you have put in me this morning, Lord, would ride on the wings of the Holy Spirit and really find a permanent dwelling place in every heart. I pray, Lord, the word that will be spoken today will strengthen everyone who hears this word. For I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Um, the word for today. Um, Hello Chapel is preparing to make a transition. And so my message, uh, in fact, uh, what has it been, almost two years now? What's the, what's the time on Hello now? It'll be two years in December? March be two years in March, okay? So the point is, the message for today is, are we there yet, okay? And we, we know, we know what kids say when they're on a journey and, uh, and, you know, they're riding and they're going through changes and, you know, things are happening. They're stopping in towns and the kids are always looking out the window because they're not in the driver's seat. You know, they don't, you know, they don't know the distance, you know, 
And so they, they say, are we there yet? You know, we're tired of this journey. We're tired of running. When are we going to settle down and actually be there? And so for Hillel Chapel, I know some of you have had to ask God the question, are we there yet? Okay, is this where you want us? Is this what you have for us, Lord? What is going on, you know, in my life? Are we there yet? Amen. And so how many in your personal stuff? Okay, going to school, you know what I mean? Or going through career changes and say, God, you know what? Are we there yet? I mean, what, what's happening here? You know, it seems like we've been going, going through this forever and forever and ever, uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not there yet, okay? Um, so whether it's personal or whether it has to do with this ministry, um, the question on the table right now is I know you're wondering, are we there yet? So the, the, the thing is that I want to talk to you about is how to deal with the transition. And anything that I tell you in terms of Hillel will filter down into your personal experiences. I guarantee you that, okay? Because all of us, how many of you have been in some type of transition uh, in the last year or two where God is just doing something, you know, different, something unique, something that you may not understand? You feel like you just left Syria and sailed on a rubber raft across the Mediterranean, okay, in the Greek, in a holding cell, you know, in Hungary, you know, and hoping to get, you know, to the land, to the promised land, some promised land. You don't know what God is doing. But, you know, um, because all experiences, all ex whatever we experience, to us, is magnified, okay? We can't compare it to what somebody else is going through. This is my life, and this is what I'm going through. And it may not be a rubber raft crossing the Mediterranean, but if that's what it feels like to me, you know, if I'm going through it, amen? So there are three things. There are three things I want you to look for in a transition, amen? You want to look for God's command. What is God calling you to? Because that's what you have to discover. God's command, you need God's plan. And then after you get what God is calling you to do, God, what, what, are, you, what are you commanding me to do, okay? And what, what is it, what is, what are you, what is your orders? Because uh, Psalms 30, 34, 23 says, the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by God. What's the order? Is the order a suggestion? What is an order? It's a command. It's what God has called, is telling you to do. And he says the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by God. Okay? That not only is he ordering you to do it, but these are my orders and this is my plan. This is what I have for you. Okay? So, and then he, because he speaks to Joshua about his command, he says, have not Joshua 1 and 9. What does he say? He says, have not I what? Commanded you? He says, I'm not suggesting that you do it this way. This is what I am telling you unequivocally, you know. And you remember when you were little, if your mom gave you or your dad gave you a command or order and told you to do something, uh, did you come back and say, well, um, can we discuss this? Can we negotiate this? And, you know, what you, would your dad say to you, you know? <laughs> I, I think you better um, get to it. Okay, you know, and well, and, and, and then we'll see this generation, they actually get answers from their parents. But in my generation, if we said why, you know what I'm saying? Huh? What would they, what was the answer when you asked them, well, well why am I, why am I gonna do Cause I said so. It wasn't no explanation. And when I see parents explaining the kids right now, I said, you know what? I said, you are setting them up. 
okay? You're setting them up for uh, a situation where they won't like to take orders and they will not be a team player, okay? Because you've got to explain to them. Because see, once you start explaining something to somebody, what happens is then they feel like it's open for negotiation, okay? Well, the reason why I want you to wear the red dress is because um, your dad is wearing a red tie and I'm gonna wear red shoes and we're all gonna try to be color coordinated. And well, you just opened it up. Well, why can't dad wear the blue tie and you wear the blue shoes? Then I can keep my blue dress on. You understand what I'm saying? You're opening it up. But God says, this is not a negotiation, all right? He says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? I have commanded, commanded you to number one, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. We know that that's a process. That don't happen just because he said so. If he said be strong and courageous, that means he's going to do some bodybuilding with you. He's going to do some psychological uh, 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 strengthening in you. And psychological strengthening comes from, from endurance. It comes from teaching you patience. It teaches you how to wait, how to go through long suffering, how to have somebody to keep getting on your nerves on Monday and then God is going to let them get on your nerves on Tuesday and God is going to let them get on your nerves on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and you say, Lord, well, I, I've learned my lesson and then a year later they're still getting on your nerves and what he's looking for, he's looking for you to get to the point where that person can't get on your nerves anymore even though they're saying and doing the same thing. You know, I went through that with my dad. I'm, when, after my mother passed away, I had to um, take care of my dad and when, when she passed away, he just, man, he just, I mean, he just turned into the meanest person in the whole world. You know, I mean, he wasn't particularly a happy person to start with, so but when my mom died, you know, he was just really a holy terror. But he was sick, so therefore, I had to take care of him. Well, this man, I mean, I can't even repeat the kind of stuff that he said and did, you know, and called me and told me I was a fake, you know, and I wasn't a Christian. And I, I mean, it was just horrible. And, you know, at first, I was like, what? You know, you don't talk, you're the one who needs me. And, da, 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 da. and then God told me, he whispered something to me one day. He said, he said, I'm using your dad for you to measure your level of your, well, let me put it this way. For you to measure your, as a spiritual gauge for you. When you are close to me, it won't bother you. When you are far from me, it will bother you. So when you're around your dad, you will know where you are spiritually because a lot of times we think we're, oh, I'm just so spiritual today. <laughs> Look at me. I'm just praising God. I'm happy. I'm blessing people. I gave a dollar to a homeless man. I'm just, you know, I'm just beautiful, you know. But, you know, but, but there's always that personal situation where you can really measure okay and my dad was that person okay because I would be at church or be somewhere speaking or be at my friends and oh Terry the message was wonderful and, and I oh praise God don't give me the glory give it to God hallelujah you know cute cute buy my CD you know da 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 da, da buy my book you know and then I would go home and my father would say something like water I say excuse me water and I said, Dad, what is that supposed to mean? It means, are you stupid? It means get me a glass of water, you so-and-so. That's how he would talk, you know? And if I said, Dad, would you like anything with your water? 
Did you take your medicine? Then I could measure that I was in a good spiritual place, okay? But if I would just walk back out the house and close the door, didn't care whether you got the water, the medicine, or nothing else, okay? <laughs> then I knew that I was not in a good spiritual place. So when God says, when God commands you to be strong and courageous, he's got to take you through a process to get you there where you can even fulfill that commandment. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when he takes you through your process, and what do we think when we're going through that process? Oh, the devil, the devil this and the devil that. And God said, I, I, I love devils. <laughs> you know, I need devils. I, you know, I allow devils to exist just to mature you, okay? You know, why do you think devils are in churches? They are, because when you come into church, you think, oh, I'm in church. And this is the closest thing to heaven. And then God says, well, let me find a devil to put in here. Because with all that praising and hallelujah, I want to measure where they really are spiritually. Because if you quit the choir because of some devil, you know what I mean, and don't like the way you play, if you quit because they don't like you, they don't think you should be in charge of this, that, and the other, okay, then you've just got a measurement. You've just got an indicator of where you are in your spiritual life, okay? So, all right, so be strong and courageous. It is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. And then he says, don't be afraid. So, and don't be discouraged. So if, if you are afraid, if he says, don't be afraid, how do you think that he gets rid of your fear in your life? How do you think he gets rid of fear? Anybody got any suggestions? How God, if somebody is scary, how do you get rid of, do you protect them and just keep everything away from them? Huh? Hey, you put them out there. You put them in the water. You scared of water? Come, come on. You know, you're going to find yourself in the water every five minutes. You know, until you realize God says, I'm with you and there's nothing to be afraid of. He will let you be in that water. In fact, he'll come and throw you in, okay? And then send an angel to get you back over to the side. And then you say, I'm never going in that water again. And then the next day, boom, you're back in the water. And I'll tell you something deeper than that that's beautiful about God. If you say you are afraid of something, well, let's just assume that I'm afraid of water. Okay, I am afraid of water and I just made a covenant in my mind that I'm never going near water, okay? And I'm walking with my little granddaughter Grace and you know how I love Grace, all right? And Grace falls in the water. What's greater, my love or my fear? What does he say? Perfect love does what? It drives out fear. I'm jumping in that water, okay? Because the love I have for her is greater than I, the fear I have of drowning, okay? So God says, not only, he says, I command you to be strong, be courageous, and do not be afraid. And he will put enough love in you that your love for him will be so great that your love will, for one another, your family, or your love for what he's called you to will be greater than the fear of what's going to happen, you know, uh, 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 what's going to happen. It says, for your Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the first thing you've got to understand that in a transition, you have to know that God, if God, what God is calling you to, David, what God is calling you to, Joshua, what God is calling you to, Juanita, let me tell you, it's not going to be easy. He says, but I, but what I'm calling to, you need to be strong. You're going to have to be courageous. You can't be afraid. Don't get discouraged because he's telling me, I'm calling you to something that's not easy. Because if it was easy, he wouldn't have to tell you, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid to be strong, to be courageous. He would, and he commands you to be, do that. He commands you because I am God. I am God. So what are you going to do when God tells you, he says, I'm going to be with you? What are you going to do? Say, 
you. I can't see you. You know what I mean? You're just going to slap God's face and tell him to get away from you, that you don't believe that, okay? And he says, well, guess what? Even if you don't believe it, guess what? In this life, you're going to go through that anyway. So you can go through it with me or you can go through it without me. Okay, take your shot. So you have to know if you're going to be a transition, you know, know what God is commanding. Know God what God is commanding you to do. What has God called you to do? And how do you know that God is commanding me? Because you can't get away from it. You cannot get away from it. When God is calling you to go out to make a change, yeah, I would love to stay in Atlanta. Okay, the rent's cheaper. I got a job, you know. I got a really nice place. If I move to California, you know, I can't afford to live there. I'm going to be living in some, you know, somebody's shed in their garage somewhere, you know what I mean? I'm going to be making, making money, and all my money is going to go to this. Why would I have to go? Because I command you to go. And you know when God is calling you to do something. Next thing, you have to know God's command. Then you're going to say, God, now that you command, tell me the plan. Okay? So you want God's plan. All right? So God's command is Joshua 1 and 9 and Psalms 34, 23, which says the steps of the good man. That's the command. All right? But now the plan. The plan is always Jeremiah 29, 11. And I have seen people take that out of context so many times. It's not, any, not even funny. Someone read Jeremiah 29.10. So then when we put this in context, somebody read it for me. Anybody got it? Jeremiah 29.10. If you have that for me, read, 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 read. Okay? Just, just jump up, read it out loud. Are there any Bibles in this church? Yeah. Amen. Well, then you have 29.10. Uh, nice and loud. Okay, what translation is that? That's message. Okay, that's message. Somebody give me a, a, a Bible translation, okay? I mean, I, I don't mean about, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. What do you have, New King? Anybody have New King? New King David? Real loud, David. Ten. Twenty. No, 29 to ten. Okay, so he says, you're you going to be in captivity for 70 years. He says, after these are the Jews, they have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, then I will come and I'll take you back to Jerusalem. You can go home after 70 years, okay? Now, for I know the plan that I have for you. So we don't read this in context. So, because my question would be, I'd be like the little kid, you know, I, I commanded, well, why? Can we, can we talk about this? Because 70 years is a lifetime. So how can you tell me that you know the plans that you have for me, Lord, to, to bless me, to do me good and not evil, just after you told me I will be in captivity for 70 years? That's my whole life. So help me understand. And that's how it sounds sometimes when our parents are talking to us, right? You know, when we were little, they tell us something that's so ridiculous and outrageous, you know, and, and, and then you ask them why, and they say, because I said so, you know. You're going to, um, yeah. Um, because I said so, 
You know, that's, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's frustrating to us. So the thing is, 70 years in captivity, and then he turns around and says, I know the plan that I have for you to do you good and never evil, to give you a hope and a future. Wait a minute. How, you, how am I going to have a future after 70 years in captivity? How does that work? Tell me that. Because God can bless you in your captivity. Do you know that after 70 years of living in Babylon and God says, okay, it's time for y'all to go back to Jerusalem. You know what the people said? I ain't going back there. I got me a house in Babylon now. Okay, I got me a good job. Y'all going back. So God can bless you anywhere. But from their perspective, nothing was better than where they were at that moment. What could be better than Jerusalem? You can't tell me that I'm, let me tell you something. I hate to tell you this. Babylon was Sin City, but Babylon was fabulous, okay? It was a very sophisticated culture, okay? And when they went to Babylon, they didn't go locked, locked up in prisons. They just went there, and they put them in a colony by the Kabar River, by the Shabar River, and that's where they lived, okay? So, but, uh, and after many years, you know, things began to change politically, and the people there got jobs and got an education and began to live in Babylon, okay? So when God says, okay, y'all can go home now, I'll tell the Jews, you can go home now. They were like, we ain't going, we are home. You see? But at, on the front end of it, on the front end of it, when he said, you know, okay, y'all going for 70 years, you said, God, this doesn't make any sense, and how can you be planning to do me good? So a lot of times we can't see the good that God is doing. When he says, you know, I'm taking you to another place. I'm moving you. You say, well, God, what could be, I mean, come on now. You know, what are you doing? He's God, okay? And your job is to trust him. Yeah. So God's plan. Amos said this. This is what I like about Amos. Amos said in 3.7 this. He says, surely the sovereign God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servant, the prophet. So God, he says, anything that I plan, any plan that I have for it's going to be revealed through the leader, okay? You're going to get a word from God, and I'm telling you, if you want to know God's plan for your life, there is a word somewhere. You may be just looking in the wrong places. And I know that a lot of people are looking out in this room, of course, because y'all are good Christian people, but a lot of people are creeping on that calling that Miss, uh, Miss Susie on, call when you want to know your future. You know, call Miss. People do that. People do that, okay? I mean, they wouldn't have the money to advertise on TV if they weren't doing it. Somebody was doing it, okay? Somebody's doing it. They're going to readers. They're going to fortune tellers. Where else do they go to get the information? To Oprah, okay? To, you know, to, you know, huh? Yeah, Miss Cleo. Okay, Miss, did they lock Cleo up? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, okay. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? That if God has a plan for you, he's going to reveal it one way or another, okay? If you really seek, if you ask him, if you really seek God with your whole heart, he's going to reveal his plan for you. So in order to make a transition, when we're going through a transition, we need God's command. What is God calling you to do? What change is he calling you to make? Then we need to know what is, well, what is the plan? If you want me to go away to college, if you want me to do something like that, how am I going to pay for it? How am I going to get there? You want me to go train and be a medical doctor? You know, hey, who's going to let me in? God says, if I gave you a command, then surely have a plan. And my plan is to do you good and never evil, okay? To do you good. And then finally, there's God's command, there's God's plan, and there's God's hand. 
All right, Isaiah 43, 13 and 14, I just love this. It says this, for I am the Lord your God who holds, who takes hold of your right hand. That's your hand of strength, amen? He says, I'm going to take the strongest part of you. He says, I'm the Lord your God who holds your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Look at that and say that to somebody next to you. Say, I will help you. God will help you. Don't be afraid. God will help you. He says, I have your hand, and I'm not letting it go. And then Psalms 139, 10, oh, this is my favorite. I just love it. He says, you know, in fact, if you read 8 and 9, just read through Psalms 139. He says, if I, if I go into the heavens, you are there. He said, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. And 139, 10, 139:10 says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me, hold me fast. It will hold me up. He says, you're never going to let me go. I'm in your hands. He says, your name, he says, is engraved in my hand. So you have God's command. You have God's plan. and I mean, God's command, his plan, and God's hand. Now, let me tell you something. We're not talking about an easy process. We're talking about knowing God at a deeper level, Okay. And uh, I was sharing, um, I was sharing my introduction to the Lord uh, with some people just recently, and I was saying that, you know, hey, I was doing my thing. You know, I, I wrote a book called The Falling Stone about Pete who was sitting at the top of the mountain thinking that he couldn't be moved, but the storms of life kept beating against Peak, and finally, you know, he falls into a valley thinking he cannot be moved. And actually, you know, when I wrote that, that was my autobiography of being at the top of my game, the top of everything. And all of a sudden, the storms came and just knocked me off of that mountain. Because I can still remember the day, my first husband, um, we, uh, he, he owned two dealerships, you know, and, and had a nice home, a nice life, you know. He owned the dealerships. That meant I had a new car every every month, okay, and, uh, you know, and just, you know, I didn't know who he paid the bills to and all that stuff, you know, I was living a good life, just sitting, and there was no evidence or no possibility that I could be moved. I thought my place was secure, okay? It, I thought that my place was secure, and then one day after going through a diagnosis of cancer, my husband came to me in the kitchen one day, and he said to me, uh, and I'll never forget, I was cleaning the stove, and he walked in the kitchen, and he said to me, he says, so what are you going to do when I'm gone? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, you heard what the doctor said. You know, this thing has metastasized. He doesn't know how long I have. And let me tell you something, you're looking at, at one point in my life, you're looking at the queen of denial. You know, you could tell me something, and I'd be like Scarlett O'Hara. Going up the staircase, I'm like, oh, we'll deal with that tomorrow, you know, not today, okay, you know. So when he asked me that, he said, what are you going to do when I'm gone, you know. And I said, I don't want you talking to me like that, and how dare you, and you know, you can't die. That's not fair, you know. That's not, and I'm just like going off, okay, because I don't want to hear what's coming at me, you know. And how dare, and I mean, how could this possibly be a part of God's plan? You know, this could not possibly be a plan. 
So finally, after watching my husband suffer for two years, and I mean, he, a lot of times he would hide his pain from me. You know, he would go in the living room and just be on the chair, by the, on the floor, by the chair, with his hand over his mouth, just in so much pain, because he knew that I was like in this zone where I didn't want to know about his suffering. Okay, I didn't want to know. And finally, you know, one, one afternoon uh, in the hospital, I came to myself that this was really happening. You know, that I really had to let him go. And I sat by his bed and I told myself, okay, I can do this, okay? I, I'm gonna make it, you know. I, I know you have to go and I know you don't want to, but I can make it. And so we hugged and he was gone in 10 minutes. He was just waiting for me. He was just waiting for me to let him go. And two nervous breakdowns later, okay, I'll never forget, I went to apply for a job because the bank just froze everything that we owned, okay? All of a sudden I had a husband, I had all the money I needed, had all the cars I needed. Honey, it, in 30 days, everything was frozen, okay? Everything, okay? Nothing was happening. So I said, well, you know what? I'm gonna just sit in my house and wait for them to come get me, okay? So I just sat in my house. I mean, I just didn't know what was gonna happen, how I was gonna live, how I was gonna make it. And um, I was sitting in my house and I had a friend named Don and uh, he would just always come over and we would play music together. And we would just write little songs together and have, have fun, you know, whatnot. So finally things got so bad and the courts were calling, you know, the lawyers were calling, you know, and I was getting all these notices in a big brown box, okay? They would come in a big brown box. And um, I wouldn't look at them. I just would play, sit at my piano and write me a song, you know, and just, I, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I mean, I was like what you call in the throes of a nervous breakdown, okay? I was like not conscious of my life, okay? And what I needed to do to keep living. So I just sat there. And so one day my girlfriend um, who worked for the United Airlines, she was asking me, well, what was happening? I said, oh, well, you know, I gotta go back to court on this day and, and they're coming to take this from me and I got a notice on the front of my house and, you know, and I'm just telling her my bank account's all frozen, you know, she's lending me money and stuff, different people lending me money because I ain't got no money. I went to the welfare office and they saw who I was and they said, well, weren't you married to, you know, what are you doing in the welfare office? You know, I mean, it was just really bad. So one night she came and she spent the weekend with me, Daryl. And there was this big box of envelopes, you know, with red notices. Right now I can't stand to see a registered letter. I can't stand to even look at it, okay? But there was this big box sitting there. And she said, well, aren't you gonna open those? And I said, no. She said, I'll tell you what. Tonight, you and me, she said, we're gonna get drunk and open an envelope. And she said, we're gonna get drunk, we're gonna smoke a joint, and we're going to open the envelope. And I said, okay, okay, you know. So I took two volumes and some Cavassier, okay, and took a couple hits of weed, you know, and we start, we start, we start, we start, oh, we start opening envelopes, you know, to see when they were going to put me in jail, you know, when they were going to take my house, because that's all that was in my mind, you know. So about two envelopes, she opened two little, and I know she said, ooh, wee. She said, you got a big old check. And I'm like drunk and high, like from where, you know? She says, 
well, you need to call this record company. Did you, did you write a song? Well, what happened? I had gone in the studio with some guys and written some music, but since I didn't know anything about the contracts and all that kind of stuff, they were releasing stuff on the whispers, you know, they were releasing stuff on different artists, you know, and, and the money was there. So I had this letter from Motown, and they said, you know, you need to contact us, and we want to put you under contract. Well, my phone was cut off, so I didn't have a phone. There weren't no cell phones back then. So next morning, I went over to my neighbor's house, you know, still drunk from last night, you know. And I called Motown, and the rest was history. But the point is, the way that I started writing music, okay, was because I was in this press, you know, in this terrible place of losing my husband, losing everything that I ever had, and not knowing what to do, but the gift that was in me began to surface under the pressure. Because a lot of times you don't know what's in you until the pressure brings it to the surface. Because even Jesus, when he was crucified, it said that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, and the blood was, was the pressure of everything, the blood was falling, the sweat was falling like drops of blood. Well, Gethsemane was the place of the Olive Garden. And what they would do to get the olives out of the trees, they would beat the trees. They would just beat the trees and beat them until the olives, and then after the olives came down, they would break the olives. They would crush them. People would actually crush them under their feet. But that's where the anointing came from, out of the crushing and out of the breaking, you know? How would I know at that point, two Grammy Awards later, that that was God's plan for my life? It did not look like his plan, you know? It didn't seem like his plan, but it was his plan. Amen. It was his plan. So when he says, I command you to be strong and courageous, it, it, it may be under the worst circumstances. You may be going through the worst kind of adversity. And so, you know, like I I'm, I'm just want to get back and tell you just this one part because this is important. Um, you know, after, you know, I was making it as a songwriter and I got this beautiful house and Teresa would tell you, we, would, we used to look right over at Mick Jagger's house, you know, that was up on the hill down below, below our house. And, um, you know, everything was good. But, I, but everybody in, in Motown was a formula writer and that was like at the peak, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the Commodores and Lionel Richie and Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder and all those people. They were all formula writers. I didn't have a formula. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, okay? So to, in order to deal with the frustration of like hoping, it was like, it was like just like hitting at a pinata, you know what I mean? Just blind, you know, hitting and hope that I hit something that they liked, you know, because I didn't know. And, and the anxiety of raising two children and living in this beautiful house, you know, that I owned and not knowing where my next hit record was going to come from, you know, so, hey, I'm getting high. I'm back to doing the values, you know. I'm back to, you know, doing whatever just to cope with the stress of not knowing how I was going to make it. And so a friend of mine told me, he says, you know what? He says, you need Jesus, okay? And I'm like, really, you know. And so he kept giving me the name of, of this church, you know. And, um, you know, I lived in Hollywood, but all the black people went to church on the east side, you know, like Broadway, San Pedro, you know, Central <laughs> Avenue, you know. You go down there on Sunday, see Rolls Royce and Mercedes parked on the east side. But anyway, he said, come to my church. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So one night after I went out, you know, with all my gay friends, you know, that's when they used to have the disco clubs, you know, where the gay clubs are. And I'm like, I love we go there and dance all night long, get high all night long. So the next morning I got, came home, and I'm wired now. You know, I've been, like, doing stuff all, doing coke all night long, you know. And, and I'm sitting there, 
And the kids were like, you know, Teresa and her sister were staying with somebody. Now I'm sitting here crying and don't know why I'm crying. And I said, I'm going to find that church. Okay, I'm going to find that church. And I got in my car. I had this little candy apple red Mercedes, you know, and the big glasses and the stilettos, you know, and here I go. You know, I dropped it by and I calmed myself down and got in the car. And I'm driving to the east side, you know, my little red Mercedes. You remember that little candy apple Mercedes? And I came over there, and I'm like, now what street did he say? Did he say 54th? 56, it was a St. Peter, it was a Broadway. I'm over there. Now I can't remember where I'm going, okay? So I get over there and I see a red brick building. And so I convince myself that this is the church, okay? So I just park the car and I get out and I go in and the organ's playing and everything, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, so now I'm high, so now I don't want to open the door and look in because you, any, no, I know y'all have never done drugs, you know, where you know about the. <laughs> paranoia and stuff that you feel, you know. But anyway, I'm like feeling like I don't want to open this door up. So I walk around the side hallway, you know, to see if I can peep in and see what is going on, okay. Organs playing, nothing else. I don't see nobody, and I walk down the side. And then I walk down another hall, I still don't see nobody. Then I turn around, and Daryl, I'm in a viewing room. There's a dead body in there, and I am in a mortuary, okay. <laughs> So, so, you know, like screaming and crying, running down the hallway and back outside and in my car. And the Lord said, if you don't change a year from now, that's where you really going to be. All right. That's where you're going to be. And on that day, I walked into church. I was with Juanita. I met Juanita Scott there. And Juanita and I was sitting up in the balcony. And Juanita, I said, Juanita. And she says, Juanita had been married to a bishop. And I, I won't say that she used profanity in church, but no, I ain't going down there, okay? She says some choice words, no, I ain't going, okay? And so I don't know whether they were taking up the offering or what they were doing, but I just went down to get saved. I'm just like, I'm, I just want to get saved, okay? And, uh, and I got saved, you know? I mean, I really accepted Christ. And, and, and this one girl, she used to sit next to me, uh, and um, she was very dignified. And, and um, when I used to think about what God had brought me through, I mean, I had a sick child, you know, Therese was sick, I had no medical insurance, I, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you about that, I mean, I lost my husband to cancer, I had no money, and I went from having no money to having more money than he was making, you know, when he was the two deal. I mean, all of that, when I thought about it, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, I would get up and tear that church up, you understand what I'm saying? So she would like, she would sit next to me on Sunday, she says, are you gonna do that shouting and dancing thing again? Because if, if you are, I don't want you stepping on my feet, so maybe you should just sit, sit on the end. And I'm like, well, God, I don't understand. I mean, of course you hurt my feelings, and I was highly offended and insulted. But I said, how come she doesn't feel what I feel? I don't get it. And he said, because I didn't bring her through what I brought you through. You see? Yeah. So she don't have that, that, that level of appreciation. And that's who God wants to use, those who he has brought through the deep challenges of life. You've been through the deep water. you got something to praise God for. You're not going back. And you've been so flat on your back and on the bottom so long. When he commands you something, you say, God, just, just command me. Command thou me. Okay? Tell me what you want to do. Because, I mean, I've been there and done that. I ain't going back to where I was with drugs and 
chanting and, you know, whatever I was doing and messing with this one. I don't want to ever go back there again. I love you, Lord. And I'm telling you, when people don't have that appreciation for God, I guarantee you they haven't been through what you've been through. But when God brings you out of mental illness, when he brings you out of uh, depression, when he brings you out of drug addiction, when he brings you out of poverty, when he brings you out of abuse, when he brings you out of sickness, when he brings you out of homelessness, whatever he brings you out, when he brings you out, you are coming out with power. You're coming out with power. You're coming out with power, with might. I'm telling you, transitions are easy when God has brought, because what somebody said, he, I know you didn't bring me this far to leave me, okay? I know, I know, I know. I, I know you didn't build a home in me to move away, you know? I, I know, I know about you, God. I, you, you have been with me. I saw you take my daughter whose legs, one was shorter than the other leg, and the doctor said, she's going to be in the, Teresa, she's going to be in the hospital for a whole year. You remember Juanita, a whole year. We're going to have to put a stretcher on her leg and stretch that leg out so it'll be longer. And when we went back to the doctor, the doctor did the last sex where he says, I don't know what's happening, but something is growing in her shorter leg, and she won't need that surgery now. Let me tell you something. I know what God has done for me. Wherever he leads me, I'm going with him. Whatever he commands me, I'm going to obey. Whatever his plan is, I'm going to follow. Wherever his hand is, I'm going to take it. Because I know. You have to trust God to the, go to the new thing. You have to trust God to move forward. And know whatever heat you have to take in the process, he's perfecting you. Because let me tell you something, sorrow is, sorrow is the hole that God digs in us. Sorrow is the hole that he digs in us so that we'll have a greater capacity to hold his joy. The bigger the sorrow, the greater the joy when he fills you up. I'm telling you, if you just got to, if he just had a little bit of sorrow, he can only put a little bit of joy on you. But when you've had a lot of sorrow, oh baby, let me tell you, honey, the jo joy is going to be full because one of the writers said in your presence is fullness of joy and see you when you're full of joy God can take you anywhere he can move you anywhere but you know one thing you stand with God because you have tried everything else there is to try you've been there and done that and you know if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side where would I be Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I don't know where there is, but I'll tell you where my there is. Wherever he is, I'm there. That's where I am. Amen. That's where I am. In Jesus' name. Father, right now, Lord, as Teresa and Daryl, Lord, lead this church, Lord. Father, right now, Lord, Cool, Lord. It may be a remnant right now, Lord. But Lord, because you have done what? You have purged out everything that is not a part of this. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that what you're building on is something that uh, is your command. It's your plan. And it's by your hand. It's with your hand that it's going to happen. The command, the plan, and God's hand. Amen. And I thank you right now, Lord.
that, Lord, as they go, that they're going to grow. Lord, I, I remember that scripture in Job, and it talks about the tree that had been cut down. And all was left was a taproot. And the tree said, at the, at the scent of water, just the scent of water, the tree began to grow again. So, Father, we just thank you and we just praise you that this tree is going to spring up strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do better than that. Come on. Say thank you for the word. Thank you for God's instruction. Amen. 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 Lord, we thank you that you are leading us, oh God. We thank you for your hand. We thank you for your commands. We thank you for your plan, oh God. There is always a plan, but can we trust you when all we hear is the command? So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. You don't give vision for it to end abruptly. You don't give vision, Lord, for there not to be a source. I don't feel tired. I don't feel tired. I feel infused with strength right where you are, whatever direction you're asking God to take you in. Let this minister to you. You can't feel tired right now because you're almost there. You're almost there when I'm riding with Grace and she takes her shoes off and her socks off and she's comfortable. But when we get closer, I say, okay, put your socks on, put your shoes on. I don't have to tell her we're getting out of the car, but I prep her for getting out. And right now God is prepping you to get out of your situation, to get out of anxiety, to get out of fear, to get out of worry, to get out of stress. Can you take him at his command? Can you be strong and courageous? Lord, we will follow you. 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 You told Elijah, you said, go back the way you came. On your way to Damascus, go back the way you came. And Lord, I just believe that as we walk back into the Hampton Inn, that's just a pit stop on our way to Damascus. But Lord, I thank you that we, you just want to know when we, will we follow the command of God and trust the plan of God and know that the hand of God is on us. So as we depart to leave, stand to your feet right now. And I love it because some of us are listening, looking for a big earthquake from God. We're looking for a big windstorm for God. But when God really spoke to Elijah, he whispered, can you hear God in the whisper? In the whisper, no way. Can you hear God in the whisper? Dave, as you embark on this new client, can you hear God whispering to you? The prophet Elijah had been tired and he stood before God and he said, I'm the only one left. And God said, I have 7,000 more that haven't bowed down to the enemy's agenda. You are not alone. Be strong and courageous. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. So this week, when you go back into life, when you go back into your world, when you go back into your office, when you go back into your house, when you go back, God said, you're just passing through. You're just passing through because I know the plans I have for you. It right in your captivity, I know the plans I have. And I will prosper you, Marilyn. I will prosper you. I will give you a hope and a future, Jess. 
keep on with the keep on. Look at somebody before you go and say, keep on with the keep on. Lord, we thank you for this word. Now you may not, you may say, oh yeah, 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 I'm saved, but you've been by Christ and around Christ, but you haven't been in Christ. Now 2016 is not promised to all of us. And we really don't know who all is gonna cross over. But before you go into 2016, get right with God. You can't have him as an afterthought and hear the commands. You have to be close to hear a whisper. And so before you leave this place, we don't want to think that you can maintain as far away from God as you've been. God has to be first. You can't lead your family unless God is first. You can't make wise decisions about your career unless you're so close, so close that you hear the whisper. So God, I, if that's you, just say, you know what, I need to get closer. Because when you say, are you there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Perhaps he would have told you if you were just a little closer. Lord, if there's somebody in this room we don't want to leave. 